You are Locked On Blue Jays, your daily podcast on the Toronto Blue Jays, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Blue Jays fans, and welcome to Locked On Blue Jays, your daily dose of Toronto Blue Jays talk directly into your dreams at this point, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, AJ Andrews of jaysfromthecouch.com, and this is the first of a planned doubleheader Sunday to balance out all the karma of the Super Bowl that's happening on that day. I know, right? It's the perfect day for, like, a solid 40 minutes of baseball talk. Um, In all serious- seriousness, though, I have been battling a cold. I'm kind of getting over it, and I've had a busy week this week, which I may get into at the end of the podcast. We'll see how much time we have, Um, but some pretty important stuff happening, so yeah, that's why we're doing these, these late Saturday night recordings and, you know, eventually the hopefully Sunday afternoon recordings. I would love to get back into that schedule of actually recording during daytime hours. That would be good. So we're going to see if we can do that starting later today, I guess. Anyway, um, what I have planned for this episode, we're going to talk about the 40-man roster crunch that the Blue Jays are looking at right now. We talked about it a little bit on Monday's show, but we're going to go a little more in-depth and kind of pick out you know, who who are the most obvious candidates to be DFA'd by the Blue Jays. But I want to focus on um, someone who we are obviously wishing, you know, all, 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 the, all the health and all the best thoughts to right now. And that is Tony Fernandez. Um, it came out on Saturday that Fernandez is in critical condition. Uh, following an infection, he has been battling kidney disease for a long time, and um, he is in hospital at the moment. Um, other Blue Jays teammates have been in contact with him, um, Juan Guzman uh, in particular um, has been keeping tabs on him, according to Jesse Barfield, so he has a lot of support there, and again... Um, Everyone just wishing him, you know, the best, the best hopes to be able to pull through and um, get back up. Because if if this is it for Tony Fernandez, and we we definitely don't hope for that, um, it's going to be the end of a guy who I think ended up being very underappreciated by the outside baseball community. Obviously, very popular guy in the clubhouse given the relationships he's been able to maintain. But when you talk about, you know, all-time great Blue Jays, despite being on the level of excellence, Tony Fernandez's name doesn't really come up because people are like, oh, Joe Carter, um, Dave Steeb, Jose Bautista, Roberto Alomar, Fernandez was kind of overshadowed in his era and it really shouldn't be the case because he was a a crucial 
figure in getting the Blue Jays to the point where they could be World Series winners. And and that's the case on multiple reasons. I mean, to start, Tude put together an amazing four-year run where he won gold gloves every single year from 1986 to 1989, made three all-star teams, um, finished eighth in MVP voting one year, was in... was a a batting average machine actually led the majors with 163 games played in 1986 because he played in the uh, in the tiebreaker game. Still batted 310 the entire season. Um, was a career 288 hitter, but you know in Toronto is when he had a lot of success. Actually had a 297 average over parts of 12 seasons with Toronto. But that was his absolute peak, the, those late 80s years, when the Blue Jays were starting to find themselves, but were still struggling to get to that point where they could compete on a regular basis. And unfortunately, what a lot of people probably know Fernandez for is being part of the trade um, in, 19, in the offseason after the 1990 season. Toronto sent Fred McGriff and Tony Fernandez to San Diego to get Joe Carter and Roberto Alomar in what turned out to be a very, very lopsided trade in favor of Toronto. And it would have been almost cruel in a way. It it was cruel to Fred McGriff, but it would have been cruel to Tony Fernandez, someone who, you know, carried the banner for those Blue Jays teams in, in many of those seasons before their big success to, to not really get to share in it. And fortunately, he sucked when he was with the Mets in 1993 and ended up getting traded back to Toronto. So he does have a World Series ring, which is well-deserved. But, you know, the guy just kept coming back to Toronto and kept kept doing what they need. He was an all-star at age 37 for Toronto for that, um, in 1999 when, I mean, granted, it was not hard to be a representative for the Blue Jays on that squad. I mean, Delgado Delgado had a really good season, but, you know, just the pitching was not where it needed to be for that team to actually make a run at the playoffs. Just didn't get enough consistent pitching, but... It, it was almost a prototype of the team we're seeing now. Um, because that team had Carlos Delgado, had Tony Batista, had Sean Green, and you had the wily veteran Fernandez at 37, playing 142 games at third base and batting 328. That that's an insane pace to be able to maintain at that age, like at the, at that time too. That's 20 years ago. And think of all the advances that have been made in in. Um, athletic science and here's Tony Fernandez at, at 37 just, just going out there and putting wood on ball that's that's what he was able to do he was able to do that he was able to take a defense um, he does deserve his spot in a level of excellence and he, he honestly if he managed to make it like a couple years longer I think he would have had a better case for the Hall of Fame because when Tony Fernandez ended up on the ballot in 2007, 
obviously there were a couple of juggernauts entering that ballot, and that was Cal Ripken Jr. and Tony Gwynn. They soaked up a lot of the votes. But if you look at that ballot, a lot of them went to guys who you can argue Tony Fernandez had a better career than. Um, Dave Concepcion was kept on that ballot. He had a a overall war of 40.1 and got 74 votes to stay on the ballot. Tony Fernandez only got four votes on that ballot. That's one more than Bo Bichette's dad, Dante, was on that ballot. Granted, at least it was more than Scott Brocious, but whatever. The fact that Fernandez fell off the ballot that quickly, with his ability to make contact, with his ability to play stellar defense for a long time, it really should have merited a longer look. I mean, he was essentially that ballot's Omar Vizquel, and he just fell off immediately a lot like a lot of Blue Jays did, um, like John Oliver did, like Carlos Delgado did, you know, not really benefiting from from playing in Canada away from the American media spotlight. And, and you know, that was a big problem with some of the Hall of Fame voting is that they did not get enough looks at people or just discounted people because of their location. And Tony Fernandez is a big victim of that. I mean, Harold Baines was on that ballot. He got 5.3% of the vote. The DH. <laughs> Tony Fernandez had seven more war than him. And had had a much better peak war than Harold Baines. And Harold Baines managed to stay on there. So, um, Tony Fernandez deserves a lot more respect, I think, than he's gotten. And granted, it's, it's nice to see the outpouring support now. Um, now that he is battling for his life, but, you know, he is someone who probably deserves a little more reverence when it comes to thinking of those Blue Jays, not just because his name's in a level of excellence, but because of what he provided at a time when the Blue Jays needed that, that reliable face they could look at and say, he's, he's going to make this play every time. He's, he's going to put the ball in play honestly skills that are starting to go by the wayside so um again best of wishes tony we we hope you can hear this and know that we're thinking about yeah um we're gonna be right back with a little modern blue jays talk about that 40-man roster right after this you are locked on blue jays your daily toronto blue jays podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day and we are back. So, as I said before the break, we are going to discuss the 40-man issue that the Blue Jays are currently facing. So, the Blue Jays need to make a 40-man move. If they want to get Rafael Dolis on the Major League roster, someone's going to have to come off. And the fact that it hasn't happened yet... I mean, it's it's not unusual in the offseason for teams to announce that they've made signings and then hold off on actually making it official. I mean, I don't think Tanner Roark was made official for like a month after the Blue Jays announced they agreed to, they had agreed to terms with him. But this late 
in the off season as you're starting to look towards spring training as you know you're starting to get more active and starting to do more podcasts sure um you would think that the blue jays would make that move and and get him on the roster so who's likely to come off to make room for Dolis? well I will give you the three names that are most likely to come off. And I'm, I don't remember if I said five, but I'm going to do three because we're starting to run out of time and I can guarantee you it's not going to be a batter. Um, the Blue Jays have 22 pitchers, 18 batters right now, or sorry, 20, 23 pitchers, 17 batters right now. I can't count. Apparently I apologize for that, but. Math was never my strong suit. So, with 23 pitchers on the roster and with the rules of the roster construction, like expanding to 26 but requiring 13 batters on that roster, highly unlikely that a batter is coming off for him. So, who are the most likely candidates? Well, your top three choices are, in my opinion... Um, Julian Merriweather, who has yet to pitch since the Blue Jays acquired him from Cleveland in exchange for some guy who just signed a massive deal, who was an MVP at one point. I don't know. <sighs> yeah. See, that guy is the reason why I think Merriweather's number three, because I really don't think... That the front office wants to throw in the towel on Julian Merriweather yet without seeing if he can actually pitch and actually hit 100 on the gun like they think he can. Which is why they selected him from the Cleveland organization. I can't imagine that it, it would be attractive to cut him loose immediately and risk having him claimed off of waivers. So, that's why he's number three. Number two, and I actually got a bit of pushback when I said this on Twitter. Um, I said Wilmer Font is number two. And I do have a very simple explanation for this. Um, Wilmer Font came to the Blue Jays at a time when the rotation was in absolute shambles. And they just needed someone who could help them get through. And Wilmer thought this magical opener act where he went out there and threw two innings and all of a sudden shortened the game and let Trent Thornton and TJ Zoic and whoever the heck he was going out first for, you know, Thomas Pendone, Jacob Wagaspak, those guys, whoever came out would be in a better position because of him. The problem for Wilmer Font and his job security is they don't need that anymore. Hyunjin Ryu doesn't need an opener. Chase Anderson doesn't need an opener. Matt Shoemaker hopefully doesn't need an opener. Tanner Roark doesn't need an opener. So, because of that, Font has to make himself more available as a reliever. And while he was better as a reliever, as opposed to being an opener last season, he had a 493 ERA in 17 starts where he began the game, as opposed to a four, 
well, 493 as a starter, 417 as a reliever. That's, he's still not good. <laughs> like, like ev everyone fell in love with him because he just power through and get like five strikeouts in one outing. And just like, oh, we're not losing after two innings. This is a nice feeling. Why can't we feel like this more often? He still had a 1269 whip in 2019. He still has a career whip of 138. He. He's just not a very good pitcher. And. Like, there's a reason why he pitched on five different teams in the past two seasons because he's very easily waivable and I have a feeling he is going to continue to be easily waivable I mean Tampa Bay waived him and he had like a 167 ERA for them in 2018 so don't don't tell me he's not bulletproof I, I really think Font's gonna be a, a casualty by the end of spring training and then my number one candidate, and I may have just talked myself into making Font my number one candidate anyway, just to spite people, um, but the number one person I put forward was Jordan Romano. And that's not a slight on Romano, but he's 26, and he had that that brief, you know, shining glimmer of hope when everyone was like, trade Ken Giles, we don't need him, we got Jordan Romano coming in. And he's gonna be the savior, and just, just now, just, just he did not deserve that, especially post injury. I, I think we actually talked about this on the previous podcast. How he, he was absolutely abysmal in September, and just did not pitch the way he should. Um, what was it? In ten appearances, I think he had like a, it was like an ERA approaching ten. Oh, it approached 10 and past 10. I'm sorry. It was 11.05 ERA in 10 September slash October appearances. And that's not getting it done. And even even after that June where he burst on the scene and, and had 11 strikeouts in four outings, August showed signs of slippage where, you know, in two and two-thirds innings, he walked four batters and only struck out three. And then, as I said, when he came back, he just completely lost it. He was getting lit up left and right. And I think he's very easy to pass through waivers, given that, I mean, he, he tried to stick it with the Rangers last season, and they waived him by the end of spring training. I think it'd be very easy for Romano to clear, and I think it'd be very easy to stash him in Buffalo in case he needs to be added on, in case there is another injury to that relief core. And given you're bringing unknown quantities like uh, Delise, like Shun Yamaguchi over, you you want guys who you can potentially bring up and and just add to the 40-man in case so you don't have to add Buddy Boshears or Ryan Furabend or Edwin Jackson. So that's why I think Ramon is a likely candidate. But again, we'll see what the Blue Jays decide to do. I think they're trying to trade. Um... They, they really want to, you know, see if they can get something as opposed to potentially losing Font or Romano on waivers. But we'll see what they can do. Um, if you want to see what I do on a regular basis, you can follow me on Twitter at A underscore J underscore Andrews. The underscores are in there because Twitter is dumb. 
and you can follow the podcast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. It's on there under Locked on Jays. You can subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of these late night episodes because you never know when they're going to drop. Just know that they'll drop daily. <laughs> that's that's my goal. That's what we're working towards. I mean, we're doubling up today. That's That's got to make up for something. Anyway, we've run out of time. So until the next time on this fine program for everyone at the Locked On Podcast Network and everyone at jaysfromthecouch.com I'm AJ Andrews. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode and y'all take care.